just got kind of a question I want to ask before we get started here, and that is just this. Why do you do anything that you do? Why do you do anything you do? Whether it's, uh, you know, go to work, go to school, grocery shop, whatever. Why, why do you do those things? Just think about that for a minute. Why do you do any of those things that we do? Now, probably depending on whatever activity you thought of determined, uh, you know, your answer. But I would say if we kind of boiled down all the different answers, all the things we could have thought about, my guess is there's really only kind of two answers to that question. One would be we do things because we have to do them or we do things because we want to do them. And I think if we, you know, were to think about our attitude when we do things because we want and we do things because we have to, probably our attitudes are just a little bit different each time, right? Like when you do something that you want to do, you're probably like excited, you're into it, you know. When you want to watch a football game on Saturday afternoon, you turn on the TV, you're probably like, you're just glued to the TV. You don't even know if you want to walk away during the commercials because you might miss something really important. You might miss a big play or something. Uh, But if you like, you know, you have to do something, you're probably, you know, you probably complain or you kind of half-heartedly sort of do it, you know, it's kind of like, ugh, okay, whatever. You know, I remember being a kid, and, uh, you know, we would do chores around the house, and one of, one of my jobs was to dust. And so on Saturdays, where I, I don't want to dust. I want to play video games. I want to watch cartoons. I would just really quickly, you know, like, speed through the house, you know, run a rag over things, and my dad would always make me do it again because I didn't pick up anything and make sure I actually dusted. I did a pretty bad job. And, you know, so when we want to do things... We're, you know, we're into it, we're involved, usually we want to do a good job or we pay close attention, but when we have to, it's just kind of like, ugh, all right, you kind of grit your teeth and get, try to get through it as best you can. And so we kind of have these different attitudes. So let me ask that same question just a little bit differently. Why do you come to church on Sunday? Why do you come to church on Sunday? And my guess is if we pulled the room, we'd have a few different answers to that question, right, of different reasons that we you know, come to church. I remember for me, when I was younger, I came to church because mom and dad made me. And if I didn't go to church, I was in big trouble. So you go to church, like that's just what you did. And we, you know, we have all kinds of different reasons that we might do that. And so while we're going through this, this series for the next five weeks of talking about what happens on Sunday, you know, why do we even gather? Why do we worship? Why do we, you know, why do you all listen to me for, you know, 20, 30 minutes? I appreciate it, but why do we do that? You know, why do we have communion? Why are we sent out? Like, wh- why do we do those things the way we do? You know, my hope is that as we kind of look into why we do those things, my hope is maybe our attitude about these things will change, and even we'll catch sort of the bigger vision that God has in mind for worship. That, you know, because, you know, it's not just, uh, I mean, if you kind of think of worship like going to the bank, right, it's always going to be kind of like, ah, just check that off the list, kind of whatever, I think there's so much more that happens kind of behind the curtain on a Sunday morning than we realize. So we'll go through these different kind of parts of our worship service over the next several weeks. And so, you know, to start us off, we're talking about why do we gather for worship, right? What happens when we gather together? Why do we do that every week? Why do we do it on Sunday? What's, what's the point of all of that? And this week, as I was studying that question, I mean, I just had like a list of bullet points of all the different ways you could answer that question because there's just so many of them. There's just all kinds of ways to look at it. And so I was like, man, we really, you know, it'll help if we all can kind of start on the same page. 
So what's kind of a way, maybe, is there a way to boil it all down, or is there a way to simplify it so we can kind of have this starting line and go from there? And so, you know, the more I just kind of worked at it and worked at it, you know, I think one way we can think about gathering for worship is if you go all the way back to Genesis and you read how the story begins, where God creates Adam and he creates Eve, and it's not until he creates Adam and Eve that God says that day was very good. Because he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that Adam's alone. And I always find that odd, right? That God doesn't say, well, Adam's got me. He should be fine. Like even God knew, Adam, people need other people. Like that's what we need. And, you know, one of the mysteries about God is that he is just a foundational thing about his character is he exists in community, right? Think about that mystery we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's really hard to communicate, but it teaches that God, just who he is, exists in a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all have to work together, they have to communicate, they have to be humble, they have to defer to one another, they lift each other up. That's just what they do. And God created us to reflect that. In other words, like, we need other people. It's not good for us to just be all by ourselves or to be isolated. And so there's something about God creating us with this basic purpose to just glorify God. To put it real simply, we glorify God but we're also supposed to do that, like, together. We can't just do it all by ourselves. So there's something about gathering together to glorify God that's so important. And just practically, we do it on Sunday because the early church figured, well, we should, we should do this on the day Jesus rose from the dead. So that's why it's always, that's why it's usually on a Sunday, because we want to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. So every Sunday is just like a little holiday. Every single week, we get to celebrate. So as we go through the next five weeks, we'll look at these different kind of questions, different parts like gather and worship and sermons and communion and, and all of that. So we'll look at all those different ones as we go over the next five weeks. Now, when you want to talk about worship, there's all kinds of places in the Bible you could go to try to study worship. All kinds of books. You could go to Numbers and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You could go to Psalms, obviously. I mean, there's just so many places you could go. So where do you go? So as I was, you know, kind of wrestling with that, I decided that Hebrews is a really good book to ground us in worship. Now, we're not going to go through, like, the whole book of Hebrews in the next five weeks. We'll hit some, some of the points in there, because Hebrews is a book where the author is really trying to capture this theological, heavy-hitting vision of worship. Because he's got this church that's really wrestling with, like, why should we be here? Do we really need to be here? And they were surrounded by all kinds of voices and teachers and people who said, the way you guys worship is ludicrous. You don't need to do that. They try to, you know, the Jewish teachers would say, you don't really need Jesus. Just do the Old Testament sacrificial system. A lot of, you know, pagan teachers and temples would say, the way you guys worship is different. You could do these other things. And so they're just, and even under persecution, they're just like, maybe we shouldn't meet at all. So why do this anyway? And so the author tries to build this picture of, just how powerful and important Jesus is, and how important the things we do are. So we're going to look at why we gather. So if you've got your Bible or your device, you can head to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start with verse 19 this morning. Hebrews 10, 19. So this is where the author kind of, you know, we're going to notice he starts off with the word therefore, because it's a big transition. He's, you know, the first nine chapters of Hebrew that we're kind of jumping over for now, he's building this deep theological argument for why Jesus matters. And it's kind of like Legos, right? You need all the little Lego bricks to get the finished product. So he's just stacking all these important pieces that you need 
to, to gather to get that final picture. So this is where in chapter 10, 19, he kind of turns and goes practical. He kind of gets a little more practical from the theology. So here's what he says, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he turns the corner from all this argument he's building, and he kind of summarizes it in these, just these few verses of what he's kind of been saying. But he starts off, and he says, we have confidence. And that's not just a feeling. He's not talking about you just have this, this good feeling about something. He means this is true. You can really do what he's talking about, which is you can really enter into God's presence. It's not just like, well, I've got to, I've got to feel good about it. It's like, no, you can go right in. You have the permission, you have admission, you can go right on in. But then he puts together all these other little pieces. Because if you notice in those verses, there's just a lot of commas. There's not really a, there's a period at the end of those couple of verses because he's got this main idea and then all these little sub pieces, all these little parts that go together to make it possible to draw near to God. So he's putting all these things together. So we'll kind of look at just a couple of those. So the first is he, you know, he talks about we can go into this most holy place, or the holy of holies as it's called. So I've brought a picture of the temple in Jesus' day and the day of the early church, what they would have been familiar with. And so you'll notice, if you look at the temple, that it's split into these different courts. So in Old Testament worship, if you were a Gentile, which would basically be all of us, you would just have to stay at the outside part of the temple. That'd be like coming to church today and you have to stand out in the parking lot. Like that's where you get to be for worship, right? And on a cold, rainy day, that's not so exciting. Maybe in the summer it wouldn't be so bad. You do a little tailgating out there or something. But you, you can't come in, right? So you're stuck outside. You can't even come inside. Then we see this. There's a court of women that's next. So if you were Jewish, you could actually come into the temple. But if you were a female, sorry, ladies, you only get to go into that next court, and then you stay there. You can't go any further. Now, the men could go a little further. You could go through that next gate and offer your sacrifices to the priest, because you'll notice through that, there's that next gate, and then there's an altar and a basin. So you would go meet the priest there with your sacrifice, and the priest would offer that up on the altar for you to forgiveness of your sins, and then you would get to leave. And that's as far as you got. Now you'll notice there's a little, in the corner, there's a little courtyard there for just the priests, just the Levites, and only the priests and only the Levites got to go inside of the, like the temple proper, the holy place. But even then, inside of the holy place, this picture doesn't show it, but there's another room inside that building, and that was the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And tradition says that if you, if you could have gone inside of that building, you, what you would have found is in the middle of that room was a curtain. And some think it was probably about 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. So it would about, I mean, block your view of, of the stage. It would kind of stretch almost all the way across our building and go all the way up to the ceiling. So that's what they had. And it, was, it would be, they think, about an inch thick. And apparently, they say it took 300 priests to move it. Don't know if that's true, but that's what they say. 
So it's this big, heavy curtain because on the other side of that curtain is God's presence. That's where God is. And the only person allowed to go into that curtain once a year was the high priest. And he only got to do that for a few minutes after this very long ritual kind of cleansing process. He had to go through all these things, offer his own sacrifices for his sin, because if he didn't do it right and he walked through the curtain, he could drop dead in God's presence. So, it, I mean, they wanted to make sure that thing was heavy so a breeze didn't like accidentally kind of move it a little bit and then, oh no, I saw God and then you're dead because that's what happens. So they were very careful about this. So we have this picture of worship that the author of Hebrews is drawing on to say, man, remember how worship back then was, it was so exclusive. One guy got to do it one time a year, go into God's presence. That was it. And it was hard, it was difficult, and forgiveness was pretty difficult to come by. Because, I mean, the only way you deal with your guilt and your shame back then is you go to the book of Leviticus, you find the stuff you did wrong, you see all the offerings that you have to bring next to it, and you make your shopping list. All right, well, I lied, so that's a grain offering, so I better go get some, some corn or wheat together. Uh, you know, I accidentally, uh, you know, got impatient on the road and, and tried to pass a guy and his donkey, and the donkey got scared, rolled down the hill and died, so I got to take care of that, and you just kind of go down the list. And you gather all that stuff up, and then you walk it up to Jerusalem. And you may live three, four, five days away from Jerusalem. So you got to walk with all of that stuff up there. You go to the priest. You wait in line for forever. You give your sacrifices, then you're forgiven. Let's just say on the way home, you sin. Well, now you're not forgiven anymore. So now you've got guilt and shame until you get back to the temple and sacrifice again. So you could just be carrying around shame and guilt for weeks or months or who knows. Some people only went up to Jerusalem maybe once a year. So you're just carrying all that around with you. And the system kind of worked to teach you that, you know, God wanted to make the point, this doesn't quite work, right? It's just, it's ongoing all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And sin costs something, sin is difficult, sin hurts and that's what they were learning. God, I mean, God kind of built a system to say, you need something else, don't you? You need something better. And so this Old Testament worship picture reveals that the worship that we have is not to be taken for granted. Because the point that, that this author is making as he goes on through is he, you know, he continues to talk about this, this Old Testament language. And he even goes on to say, we've had our hearts sprinkled clean because they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on things to say it's clean, it's pure. And we have a heart that doesn't have any guilt anymore. We've been forgiven. We've been washed clean. He goes through all of that. To just make the point that, hey, it used to be one guy went once a year and took care of sin. But now, because of what Jesus did, you can worship God in his presence all the time from anywhere. And you can be forgiven over and over again. There's no limit to the forgiveness that Jesus has. So he's really trying to say, hey, remember the way it used to be? The way worship is now because of Jesus, don't take it for granted because it used to look a whole lot different. It used to be exclusive. It used to be limited. It used to be difficult and hard and expensive, but now it's not. So he's trying to make the point that what we do on Sunday is a gift. The fact that we get to come together into a room and all be gathered because now it's true, God's presence is everywhere all the time, but there's something that God does. There's something the Holy Spirit does that's different when we come together in this place on Sunday, that's just different from everywhere else. It's just mysterious. Somehow the way he works, the way he speaks to us, it's just a little bit different. 
And I think it has something to do with this is kind of what God wants heaven to look like. Because if you, you know, were to jump to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, when John sees heaven, he doesn't say, and behold, I saw all these little houses and everyone was in their own individual house worshiping the Lord all by themselves. That's not what he says. He says, no, there I looked and there was a great multitude that you couldn't count. Or in chapter 4, he says, I saw 24 elders bowed down around God's throne, which is a symbol for all of God's people. So God's, he's created us for each other. He's created us to be together in his presence. So this is like a picture of heaven every single Sunday. We're not meant to worship God just by ourselves. We're meant to do it all together. This is a gift from God. It's not just a political gift because we have religious freedom. It is God's gift to us. Because we could have all the freedom in the world to come into an empty room and just, you know, talk and sing and listen. But that wouldn't do any good if God wasn't a part of it. But God's a part of this. He's present. He's here. He's with us. And because Jesus is our great high priest, the author of Hebrews says, that means Jesus invites us into worship every week. So when we come together and when we gather, we're answering Jesus' personal invitation. Jesus says, hey, why don't you come worship me today? Why don't we all come together and do this? That's what he's asking for us. And of course, sometime, right, we need some help with that because we come into church and we're distracted. For whatever, we've got all kinds of other stuff going on. We're thinking about lunch or we're just having a bad week, whatever it is. And so we need a little bit of help when we get started to like kind of direct ourselves. So that's why Taylor likes to start with reading some scripture or some kind of a call to worship to say, hey, whatever's going on, just turn that off for just a little bit. Put your attention here. God is inviting us. We're responding to this invitation. And it's a gift because we used to not get it. Now, maybe you know what it's like to be into an exclusive club. I do not. I don't get picked for things that are very exclusive. Uh, as an example, you know, one time... I try to get into, this is a real thing, I try to get into the Dr. Pepper Club. There is a Dr. Pepper Club. And other than water, occasionally, I pretty much only drink pepper, which is maybe not good, but I love it. So I, my friends thought, I'm, I'm the perfect person for the Dr. Pepper Club. Like, I just drink it. That's the only thing I buy at the store is Dr. Pepper. Jenna has to go get, like, vegetables and stuff. I don't, you know, whatever. But they thought I'd be perfect for this. So now there's an application. So I fill out the application. And part of the application is, which made me nervous, is they want all of your social media accounts, like all your handles. So I'm guessing they go look at all your social media profiles, and they probably looked at mine and thought, oh, this guy, he's not even on TikTok. He doesn't have a bunch of Instagram followers. He doesn't post that often. Yeah, he's not the kind of guy we're looking for. Because what they do, I'm sure what, they're, you know, what they want to do is they want to find influential people on social media so they can send experimental flavors of Dr. Pepper to them, and they'll post about it and promote Dr. Pepper, and they just probably looked at my account and thought, this guy's not going to promote us to very many people. So, never mind. So I missed out on what birthday cake Dr. Pepper tastes like. I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. I'll never know. But I, I, don't, I didn't get into that. Now imagine how I would feel, which would be pretty great, if somebody, somebody at Dr. Pepper were to hear this message. Maybe they will. Maybe they probably won't. But if they walked into the office of the Dr. Pepper Club and say, hey, look, Justin Duell, put him in the Dr. Pepper Club. I know he doesn't have enough followers. That's okay. I, I'm, I want him in. Put him in. And, I, and then I get like a letter in the mail or whatever they do. is congratulations, you're in the Dr. Pepper Club. I'm like, yes. But that would feel great. And maybe you know what it's like for somebody to work their connections or go in on your behalf and get you into something. Maybe it's just somebody got you picked for the team, somebody got you the job, somebody, they went, they, they talked, they had the power, they had the authority, they had the connections, and they went in on your behalf, and they got you in. And that feels good. 
It feels good to be allowed in. And what this passage is saying is, hey, because of what Jesus did, his sacrifice, he allows all of us to get to come to worship now. Because before, we didn't get to do this. So this is a gift. This is something we get to do. And the great thing is, Jesus can forgive us. Because part of that point of the Old Testament system is, God was showing people, forgiveness is just hard to come by. And we live in a world where we, we so badly want to be forgiven. We don't like feeling guilty. We don't like feeling shame. We so badly want to be forgiven. But there's a lot of places around the world where you don't really get very good forgiveness. People might withhold it from you, or you just don't meet the standard, so sorry, you don't get to be a part of this, or sorry, we're not, we're not going to forgive you, or you've got to pay a pretty crazy penalty for that. But church is the one place where we get to come and we get to belong because of what Jesus did. Because the truth is, no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, we just, we don't make the cut. You don't got what it takes to pass God's application process. So you need Jesus. We need Jesus, our great high priest, to go on our behalf and get us in. And that's what he does. And that means we can be forgiven over and over and over and over again. Because a lot of places in the world, forgiveness kind of has, has an expiration date. I'll forgive you for a little bit, or I'll forgive you this time, but maybe not next time. Right? Maybe some of you have been frustrated with somebody as they make the same mistake over and over, and you just kind of like, I'm done. No more. Right? But Jesus, he continues to give that to us. So that's kind of the main point of this passage. But I want to help us apply it just a little more. So in this passage, there's three of these kind of these core verbs. And your translation probably puts them as, let us do something. So I just want to look at the third verb, and that is, let us consider. That's in verse uh, 24. So you jump down to verse 24. Here's how the author kind of applies this idea of why worship's so important in gathering, and he puts it in a particular way. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I, I love that word, and the, the way the NIV translate that is spur. You may, your translation may do something different. I love the word spur because I'm from Dodge City. So for me, it's just easy to think about cowboys and rodeos, and you put on your spurs, and that's how you get your horse to do what you want, want him to do. But you, you may not like that image so much, especially if it's like talking about somebody's going to kick you with a spur. You're like, well, that doesn't sound all that encouraging. But that Greek word, the Greek idea is this is just, it's a force, it's something to really encourage you to like stimulate you to do something like, like really like getting kicked with a spur that would get you to do something. And so sometimes this is a word that like, hey, sometimes we need a swift kick in the pants, right? We come into church and let's be honest, we've not been very obedient. We've not been doing a great job of following Jesus. We've been maybe selfish or whatever it is. And you need somebody in the congregation in Christian love to kick you in the pants, to be like, hey, cut it out. You're better than that. What the heck are you doing? Why are you talking like that? Why are you doing this? Come on. Sometimes we need that. And other weeks, we come in and we're pretty beat up. We're pretty discouraged. And what we really need is we just need somebody else, even if it's just to welcome us, give us a good a smile, say, hey, we're glad you're here. You just need some kind of like encouragement almost, just something to pick you up, or you just need somebody to put their arm around you and just pray for you, because it's been a tough week. There are different weeks where we need both of those things. And the author of Hebrews is saying that's part of what happens at church. And I think it's interesting that he starts with this kind of this huge, 
theological vision, this huge picture of church that goes from Genesis to Revelation and is in God's presence and because of the work of Jesus. And then the way he applies it is, so you should probably keep attending church. Like, huh, that must be pretty important for him to put that. And part of that, I think, is the author of Hebrews just knows if you don't come to church, you can't get spurred on and you can't spur on anybody else. So we all miss out. If you don't come, you miss out on having others encourage you and strengthen you, and we miss out on you getting to encourage and strengthen us. We just all miss out. I think he's just saying, yeah, this is important. So I want to show you uh, something that came out last year. So there's this picture of a chart up on the screen, and it may be a little hard to read, but don't worry. In a minute, we're going to go to a zoomed-in picture of it for you. So this is from the Gallup poll, and every year since 2001, the Gallup poll rates Americans on their mental health. And usually, and so this is just a chart of people who rate their mental health as good to excellent, all right? And so last year in 2020, overall, people who would say in America their mental health was excellent or good dropped by eight percentage points, which is the most it's dropped ever. I think we could all say, well, thanks, COVID. Come on now, you know? But here's what they found. As they went through all the different categories, gender, age, political orientation, how much money you make, they found every single category decreased except for one. The only category that went up were people who attend church every week. Even people who attended church like once a month or occasionally, their mental health still plummeted just as much as everybody else. So the only thing that made a difference was people who came to church every single week. That's it. The only difference. And I think what the Gallup poll discovered is what the author of Hebrews knew. There's just something, there's just something about attending church every week that does, it just does something to us. It does something good for for our heart, for our soul, for our mind. It's just good for us. And something about being together in God's presence just does something different. And I would argue that's probably just the mystery of this reflects heaven in a weird sort of way. And so maybe for a lot of us, it's just, hey, why we come to worship is just, you know, maybe we have a good answer, but maybe it's not a very deep answer. Maybe there's so much more. And maybe God's vision of worship is just, it's a lot bigger than we've, we've just thought. So if nothing else, if nothing else, come to church because it's good for your mental health. At least that, at least that much. But man, there's just a lot. Now I want to be, I want to be sensitive with this, with this little, you know, this little phrase of, you know, don't give up meeting together, because I know there's a lot of you at home watching this and watching online, and because of your health and your age, you just, you literally, you just can't come to church anymore, right? Like, I've talked with many of you on the phone, and you wish you could be here, but you just, you just can't. Now, I want you to know this verse is not directed at you. This verse is not saying because of your health, you're being a bad Christian, or because of your age, you're being a bad Christian. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is aimed at Christians in the first century who had all kinds of excuses why they weren't coming to church. And for them, their excuses might have been they don't want their business partner seeing them go to that church because maybe that might end the business deal. Or there's some persecution going on, so they know, well, if I go to church, maybe I'll be the one questioned next or the one put in prison overnight next. And the author of Hebrews is saying, it's a gift. Stop making excuses because there's something mysterious and powerful about being together in God's in worship together with God's presence, and you're just missing out. 
because God wants to do something in you and through you, and if you're not here, that's just not happening. And so the author of Hebrews is just flat out saying, stop making excuses. And that's who he's talking to. So how can we kind of live this out? What can we do? So just to make it super practical, here's, here's a few things we can do. So I think the first is just change your thinking about worship, right? What is your reason? What's your why? So it might just be change your thinking to this is a gift. This is something really great. This is something we usually don't get to do. And it's impactful because whenever we're in God's presence, we can't help but be changed. Something about being in his presence, the Holy Spirit, it just does something. And it may not happen overnight, but over time, God just does something to us. So this is a gift. Don't take it for granted. Right? So it's, it's good to be here. It's a gift. Don't give up on weekly worship attendance. And a particular way that we could do this is just kind of through this challenge. Because if you just, you know, kind of show up on Sunday, you kind of slip in, and then you slip out, and you try not to talk to anybody, I get it. I'm an introvert. I, sometimes I don't want to talk to anybody, too. But if you do that, you're kind of missing the point of this passage, too. Because this passage isn't just, hey, sit down in church and then leave. It's, no, come to church and participate. Be part of what's going on. So here's an easy challenge for you. Every week, pick one person in the room. It could be some, probably somebody you don't know very well. And for a lot of you, that may be really hard. So just pick somebody. Maybe somebody you don't know or you don't know well. Or maybe you pick somebody that you do know really well. But pick somebody and go up to them. You know, let's just all forgive each other and give each other grace. If you've been in the same room for a very long time and they come up and they don't know your name, just it's all good. I'll, t- I'll remind you your name. I won't be mad about it. We'll be good. So introduce yourself, ask for their name, make a little small talk, you know, hey, how long you been here? What's going on? You know, da, 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 whatever. And then just, just say this, ask them, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And then even, even if like the second you get out into the parking lot, you've got to get out your phone and you've got to write it down. Okay, I talk, you know, this is who I talked to and this was their prayer request. That's totally fine. I do it all the time because I know I'll forget. I'll get busy like, oh, I met that person and what was their name? Uh, was it, was it, you know, Rick or Randy or was it Robbie or was it, it was something like that? Like, so I just got to write it down. And then all week, pray for that person. And if you're not great at learning names, that'll help you learn names because you're praying for that person all week, every day. And then when you come back next Sunday, go find that person and say, hey, I've been praying for you this week. How's it going? And follow up with them. And even if you're really introverted, then just, okay, you did that. So then week three, go pick a new person. If you're, if, if you're like, no, I, I can handle that, I can do a little more, you follow up with your person, and you pick a new person on week two. And you just do that. And if you do that over enough time, you'll get to know a lot more people, you'll meet a lot more people, and you're, you will find yourself encouraging, spurring on one another all the time through how you pray for people, and even just making sure they know, hey, I'm praying for you, I'm with you in this. And you may even hear ways you can practically be helpful to them. And who knows? God may surprise you with a friendship in the midst of that process. So if I could put this all together, kind of put it all in a sentence, which is sometimes really hard to do, but if I could put this all into a sentence, here's what I think this passage is saying about Sunday morning worship. It's this. Gathering is our victorious celebration that Jesus paved the way for us to belong to God. It's victorious and it's a celebration because every day on Sundays when we gather together each week, we're, we're, this is a little picture of heaven. We're showing the rest of the world that there's a better way. We're showing the rest of the world 
that there really is a way to find identity and forgiveness and hope and a family, even in a world where that can be really hard to do or for people who they don't have that. You know, there's a lot of people who forgiveness is hard to come by and they don't know where they belong, but here is the place where that can happen. And it's this celebration of victory because Jesus, because of what Jesus did, he won the battle none of us could win on our own. He did the thing none of us can do. No matter how hard we try, no matter how strong we are, no matter how many great ideas we have, we can't overcome our own sin. And the author of Hebrews is just saying, hey, look, you go back to the old school way if you really want. Like, go buy a lamb, buy a cow, you know, gather up all your crops, take it to the altar. But God's provided a better way. That was always his plan. And that's what he's showing to us. So Sunday morning, you know, I hope for all of us, Sunday morning is something that it's not that, well, got to do that, check that off the list. Or it's not just this, well, it's this boring thing, but it's something we come into and we all participate in so that, so that we can encourage one another and we can model a little bit of heaven on earth every Sunday. Because I think if we could pull back the curtain of what happens in this moment is God is doing something incredible that we don't always feel or recognize or understand, but something powerful is going on in the midst of all of that. So for the book of Hebrews, over these next few weeks, we'll keep going through it. We'll look at a few different places along the way and of how this picture of worship fits together and helps us out. But just to start, just to start, let's just practice this being a victorious celebration, that we're in God's presence, and it's just different than any other time. It just is. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are a great high priest and that you are that bridge between us and God, and where we continue to fall short, you came, you lived a perfect life, and provided the perfect sacrifice so that we don't have to anymore. And God, I'm so thankful that you, you tore that curtain, and your presence is now with all of us. And I'm so thankful that we have access to you now like never before. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you help us uh, to, to get that. Maybe there's some ways in our thinking that needs to change, or maybe there's some ways about how we feel and in our heart that needs to change and our attitude. Um, so Holy Spirit, help, help transform us in those areas where we're just missing on what you really have in store for Sunday morning. Help us see the good and the power that's in it as we worship you. So it's in your name I pray. Amen. So as always, we have a chance to respond in our worship services. And so for many of you, that response is just, hey, you need time to just to worship in this last psalm before, we, before we're sent out. Uh, and for some of you, maybe you need, you need prayer. You want to talk about how to follow Jesus or taking the next step with Jesus. And so I'm going to head to the parlor on my right, your left, and you're welcome to come back there and meet with me. I'd love to pray for you, talk with you. And if you're online, same goes for you. You may not be able to come to the parlor physically, but Hey, send us a Facebook message, an email, phone number, all the information's on your screen, and we'd love to help you get more connected or learn more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And as always, every Sunday, our altar's open. So if you just feel like you come down front and just kind of pray at the altar with God, that's totally okay to do. So would you stand and let's continue to worship our God who is always present.